time. Open all the doors and let you out into the world. Closing time. Turn all of the lights on over every boy and every girl. Closing time. One last call for alcohol, so finish your whiskey or beer. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can stay here. I know who I know you You don't know those lyrics. Those are those are the lyrics. Those those are the lyrics. You have to I know you don't know how this song goes. Oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> As an aside, that song's ever. actually about um uh, about his child, not about leaving a pub. Closing time. I'd believe oh, it. Songs yeah. are never what they're what, what you think they're about. Yeah, it's a really good song. It's about changing your aspect. Well, uh, one element of your life ending and another li- element of your life beginning. And well, that's topical, isn't it? Though. Why is that, Ben? Tell us, Ben. Because. Wait, wait, wait. Because this. Wait. Hello and welcome to Of Dice and DMs, a weekly podcast where we talk about Dungeons and Dragons and other role-playing games. I'm your host, Jeremy. I'm your resident player, Tori. And I am your dungeon master, Ben. For now. For now, (laughs) yes. Uh, We are wrapping this podcast up. This is the second to last episode. Penultimate. Um, The penultimate episode, if you will. Um, which might come as a surprise uh, to our small community, but it is because, uh, long long story short, I got a new job um, as a D&D content creator. Um, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but it's basically a, a full-time position, which means that I've had to step back from my other commitments uh, and the other fun things that I help create, uh, of Dyson DM sadly being one of them. Um, and Tori didn't want to do it without me. And <laughs> That's Jeremy... Fair. Well, Jeremy he could do it by himself. To the name. On, his, on his own. Jeremy could do it by himself, but it's very boring hearing a white guy just talk about D and D with no one I responding. I just feel that's why I, three white people is better. That's right. Three times the whiteness is better. I just feel that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Please don't take that quote out of context. We're Sorry, a bit of a tr- we're a bit of a trio, and so if there's one of us not in it, I think it is time to kill it. And yeah, crush its brains out. I mean, you know, ignoring the episodes where we had guests on. We'll take the podcast out the back and get the rifle. And... <laughs> We're going to take the mouse from the logo out the back and just step on Aww. it. Like... Aww. Yeah. The poor unnamed mouse. Poor mouse. Oh. As an aside, mm-hmm. there's a mouse living in my house that I got to see last night. He's a very cute little thing. Ah. Oh, cool. You've got a very, pet. very like reminiscent of, of you know. Of this podcast and everything. Yeah. It's a sign. It's a sign. He knew. He left. He ran away. He knew. Yeah. But that means we are wrapping up the podcast rather than just wrapping up the episode. Uh, And we thought we'd touch on some of the topics that we haven't really gotten around to yet. The, um, The things that we've always wanted to talk about. The stuff that would have been really interesting uh, having more time but still wanted to mention. Uh, maybe well mm. we'll get started one of the things that we found a lot of people were responding to were the class episodes and getting a lot of ideas for those um, fighters being a particular one that everyone seemed to really get into but of course we, <laughs> we finally got around to warlocks uh, after a while which I suspected if we hadn't gotten through it would have been the very final episode no matter when <laughs> it came through we just would have gotten to warlocks and that would have been the end of time itself yeah we thought we'd go a quick little lightning round of these these classes, the last few that are left for us to talk about and um, see what we've got to say. So um, let's start off with the one that actually would have required research. And we, of course, being us, we did none of uh, the Druid. Which, Ben, what Why do you want to require research? Because Druids were a well, real because thing. Druids, yeah, Druids historically existed, right? Yeah. And, and not well, as tree-loving, nature-loving um, individuals, but they were sort of 
and again, we, we didn't research this. Um, I think I Ever. did research it once long ago when we were going to do a Druid episode, like literally more than a year ago. Um, but we, uh, like my knowledge of Druids comes from like history podcasts and things like that. But they, they were basically um, not just priests, but they were also kind of politicians, you know, they were, they were cultural leaders, um, spiritual leaders and cultural leaders um in the i believe like the gauls and the the Mm. kind of you know northern uh european uh kind of nations that existed uh outside of rome you know Mm. um i know because i listened to uh a history podcast about caesar's kind of conquering of the uh the celts i believe the celtic holocaust i think that that uh podcast was called or the 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 series of episodes um and caesar had to deal with a couple of druids who were not uh as you might think summoning treebeard to fight alongside them but were basically you know um advising their people on what to do and and uh you know trying to negotiate with caesar in different capacities and so druid i think has this um this perception of being a nature loving person because pagan uh religions are generally associated with more uh you know, dare I say primitive, although that's maybe not what I, maybe from the Roman perspective, primitive um, cultures that seemed more in touch with the natural world than the Romans necessarily did, who were all about, you know, building empires and building buildings and creating quote unquote civilization. Nature, but I also think the term drilled was probably misapplied to a lot of different um, you know, people, uh, as the, the Romans maybe learned the word and started applying it to all sorts of spiritual leaders across multiple different cultures. I don't know. That's conjecture on my behalf. In the same way barbarians was everyone who doesn't speak Latin. It's like, they just sound like they're going ba 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 Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, long story short, if I'm going to include druids in my campaign as sort of NPCs, typically they tend to be um, sort of quite spiritual, quite in touch with nature, as is the the sort of fantasy trope uh, for them, but quite, um, you know, not quite the the eccentric shapeshifters um, that, uh, that they tend to be presented as, especially once they're in the party. Once you've got someone who can turn into a jellyfish in the party, um, any sorts of realism kind of goes out the window fairly quickly. Um, whereas I prefer maintaining a, a sense of mystery and mysticism around druids as a, as a general concept. And so um, I've only had druids actually in the party a handful of times and and they are mechanically for a dungeon mm. master, a pain in the ass. Like they're actually way more difficult to deal with than a barbarian ever is, right? Like having damage is fine, but having 50 extra hit points um in addition to um your your normal hit points can be a lot and druids are a lot more likely to summon creatures they're the ones that'll go hey let's summon a woodland being let's bring some dryads in let's bring in a pack of wolves or a swarm of pixies it's like just 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 eight wolves uh you know (laughs) i had i had a druid who i had to deal with once and just every fight he would summon eight wolves and it would blindside me every time because eight is the number that you would summon, but as it turns out, eight is a fuck ton of wolves, especially when you're playing at like levels four, five, six. Eight wolves has the capacity to really like gum up a, a fight. Um, because if you've got, you know, there's the typical thing of like, oh, here's my big bad, my big dragon, my big giant, whatever it happens to be, this thing's gonna be a real challenge to the party. If you summon eight wolves around it, it pins it in place, but it also does a shit ton more damage to that thing. And if you think to yourself, ah, here's my horde of orcs and they're going to challenge the party because there's lots of them. Well, eight wolves can run in there and gum them up and kind of pin them in place and 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 keep them from being able to attack the party itself. And it's not so, even a particularly big level spell, not a high level spell. It's quite a low level spell that they can just cast again a couple of times. Yeah. Is it second or third? I think so. Second or third level? The thing that I the thing that I learned was that mm. it requires concentration. So I kept just hitting the druid every time he'd right. and that was the the trick to get rid of them. Mm. Um, but yeah, druid just in my head equals I hate eight wolves. See, druid in my head either animal shape, beast shape, which is just really fun. It's like, hey, I get to be a wolf myself and run around or a crocodile. 
or in some cases a moose. But it also pictures Getafix from um, from Asterix comics. Right. It's like there's the two levels of druid for me, which is interesting because Merlin traditionally was a druid. Yes. Yeah. Was he? Yeah. I thought he's a wizard. I don't know. I just watched an overly well, sarcastic production so- video on it, so I'm guessing they're right. I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're probably right. I mean, a lot of my knowledge, my history knowledge comes from them as well. I'm not going to lie. But I think that, um, yeah. I, I mean, Tori I think just learns from book of, learning like a real person. Yeah. I think that's part of the confusion around druids and the conflation of them with, you know, people that do magic and, and make blood sacrifices and, and howl at the moon is that conflation with maybe in his earliest sort of conceptions, Merlin was a druid as in a historic, a, you know, spiritual and political advisor. And then this idea that he could cast magic kind of get, got put into his story and he transformed into a sort of wizard like uh, individual instead. It does turn into a tree at one point. Yeah, um, exactly. So. And he was born of the devil, wasn't he? Uh, I don't know about that. I've not heard that before. That's probably um, the Christians going, no, no, he's got magic, so he must be bad because he didn't believe in, I mean, in Christ. Isn't the Druid one of the, like, least liked players, like, or played, play, like, classes ever? I've often heard that with Druids. It's like no one ever plays them. That's funny because they're, so. they're incredibly overpowered at higher levels. They're ridiculously mm. overpowered because they can just switch between elemental shapes and they basically become, hey, I'm a fire elemental. Cool, now I'm an air elemental. And you just can't actually yeah. knock them down as a, as a dungeon master or another player if you're trying to kill them. I think the problem that I find with druids as PCs, you know, as I've described, eight wolves and 58 extra hit points or whatever, but I've never seen someone play a druid. Oh, that's not quite true and maybe not quite fair, but I was about to say I've never seen someone play a druid to play the role-playing side of the druid typically people choose to play druids for the mechanical advantages of playing a druid that you can turn into other animals gives you massive um you know massive uh uh, health buff um Mm. and summoning eight wolves or eight or whatever it is um you know there is a lot of power in that class you can summon eight wolves and then transform into a, a an animal and maintain concentration and and continue to harass the party I don't think that's quite fair or true. Um, I, uh, the people that I've played with who have creative druids have put a lot of thought into their role-playing side of the character, but I don't know. There's just something inherently cartoony to the mechanics of um, the D&D druid that uh, I, I, I don't know, I kind of personally struggle with, and I think that's maybe what turns people off playing them when they'd rather play a wizard. You can play a druid like a wizard, but most mm-hmm. people, if they're going to play a druid, will choose to go the animal transforming route more so than the the heavy spell casting route. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but think, you played a druid at one point. Yeah, Tori. I was going to say, yes. Tori, what was yeah. how was your experience playing your druid? I was was a circle of the spores. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Oh no, you played two druids because I was thinking of another one. You're, you're thinking of the other one. I played <laughs> that for like one session. That I was one. still a great druid. Um, which was. What was that? It was like a a druid that could or didn't have any control as to what animal they turned into. Yeah. Um, and did so under like almost like a panic attack. Yeah. Um, which was an interesting concept. But then I got into a fight and I was a fucking rabbit or something like that. No. Well, what happened? I the think rabbit one took of the first out. fights you got into, you you turned into a yeah, like Monty Python. <laughs> But I think that the joke originally came that your backstory was that you're you're terrified, yeah. like you're shell shocked because your character during the massacre of their village mm. turned into a rabbit because they couldn't turn into anything else, and like just sat shivering, like watching the slaughter happen with the flames reflected in the eyes of the rabbit um, <laughs> as people were screaming and dying all around them, and because of that, that kind of like mental trauma, you you found that you couldn't transform into the animal you wanted to transform into at any given point. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I it, thought was a hilarious concept for a character. And whenever you transform, I as the DM would roll randomly on a chart to see what you would transform into. Yeah, it was it was a good idea, but I guess uh, yeah, not very handy in terms of combat. Because um, and I, I recall that the session that you ran that 
time was quite combat heavy. Sure. Um, so when you have no choice about what you turn into, it's uh, <laughs> you become very useless in, sure. in that respect. You yeah. know, and I yeah. think there was a few times I nearly died. Um, that's true of any session we play with Ben, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, but then there was a circle of spores. Is that what it's called? Circle yeah. of spores, yeah. Druid, um, which was really cool. I played like this uh, very um, Umbrella Academy Klaus inspired uh, high uh, boy um, that was just getting high off mushrooms all the time. And <laughs> hence Circle of the Spores. I have some pretty cool ideas when I want, I want yeah, to. Yeah, you do. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which that was fun because I, I, I did really like just turning into fucking anything I wanted because I did end up like turning into a crocodile and all the things. And it was pretty deadly when I did that as well. I didn't think that you would let me turn into such like powerful animals. But um, well, I can't say no if the rules say that you can. You yeah. Know. It was something like as so, so long as you've seen them before or something yeah. like that. Or, yeah. You know. I think that's why okay. druids are kind of um, hated class by dungeon masters because usually the player will go, I want to turn into a coyote. And you're like, well, you just right. turned into a wolf two days ago. I'm just going to use the same stats, okay? It's like, well, coyotes are kind of different. It's like, no, no, I'm using the same stats because I don't want to have yeah. to create stats for a coyote on the fly. Just, it's a dog. Well, the other thing is that a lot of the monster stat blocks are not written to be used by the player characters. They're written yeah. to challenge the player characters. Yeah. That's why... Uh, fire elemental i'm pretty sure off the top of my head has something like 114 hit points or if it's not that it's like 80 something hit points which admittedly a druid can't turn into a fire elemental until high levels anyway but the the scales aren't quite proportional to um where they should be and we all know the cr system sucks so yeah um you know uh, often druids get uh, access to like the crocodile for example quite a powerful creature probably slightly more powerful than was intended when the rules were written but the rules were the the crocodile was written as a monster to fight the party i would theorize maybe i'm yep. wrong maybe they wrote the the monster the the animal stat blocks at least specifically for the party but um the the monsters definitely not so that's some of the the aspects of the druid um and because we want to get through a lot of the other classes we will talk about uh, we'll we'll move on from that one. So maybe we move on to barbarians. Given that, well, in my games, I like to combine druids and barbarians. Just that idea of both more primal creatures, more primal yeah. groups. That's easy. So the main thing with barbarians is their rage. Yeah. 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 I mean, in a lightning round, talking about barbarians, I guess the one thing I would say is that they don't have to be dumb. Um, I think that's just the stereotype because intelligence is an easy dump stat and barbarians want to buff their strength, dexterity and in, and constitution as much as possible, but they definitely don't have to be stupid. And the other thing is that they don't even have to be angry, you know? Like I, no. I would uh, love to play a barbarian that's like a samurai um, or a, you know, ninja or something like some sort of like spiritual warrior who when they quote unquote rage they uh, go into like a battle trance where they're actually incredibly calm, but just so focused that they don't take damage or they don't feel it as much. And their, their sword strokes are so precise that they cause the extra bit of damage that, that comes from raging. Or, you know, at the moment uh, in, a, in a friend's game, I've been playing a Dumpier um, who when they rage, they kind of, I've been using the monstrous, I can't think of what it's called, like Path of the Beasts or something yeah. um, from uh, Tash's. And the idea is that when they rage, they kind of, it's its that moment where the vampire transforms into a more monstrous looking thing, um, becomes more bat-like or more wolf-like or whatever it is, uh, grows longer claws. And, and so the rage is more of like a transformation than just a, a, a state of mind. Um, so I think that like feeling free to, you know, maybe your barbarian, I think this might've even been a Tasha's one. I think there's a Fae barbarian in Tasha's and it's like, you don't become angry. You actually become like, you know, overjoyed and kind of, um, hyperactive, you know, when you rage rather than, mm -hmm. you know, purely angry. 
It's like man- a manic personality. In that yeah, sense. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. there's lots of different ways that you can quote unquote flavor your rage that don't just have to be. I am angry. I smash things when I'm angry. You know, you don't have to play the Hulk when you play a barbarian. And I think, as you were saying, Jeremy, in terms of like pairing the druid and the barbarian together in some capacity, and the the totem warrior definitely lends to this 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 idea that barbarians can be quite spiritual you know and quite wise perhaps um and quite uh um you know philosophical not not stupid at all but just in touch with um their physical selves Hmm. i think that kind of ties in that the romans just called anyone who didn't speak latin a barbarian that these were cultures that had a lot of history that had a lot of depth to them and the romans just kind of dismissed them out of hand that you can have these very stoic very smart barbarians that um can be really interesting to play because again that ties in that people just kind of assume well if you're uncultured you're naturally stupid it's like Mm. well you can have a high intelligence barbarian and just blow everyone out of the water everyone will be stunned by the fact that this barbarian is actually smart and can read so just because yeah. you put out a lot of damage doesn't mean if you want to do a dump stat, there's charisma. It's like just mm-hmm. he can be a very arrogant barbarian. It's like, well, I don't give a shit what you think. I'm the best. Mm. So, yeah, there's there's it is still more of a physical class at the end of the day because it does mechanically is about putting out damage. Yeah. So that's kind yeah. of what yeah. it does. Sure. But like being physical doesn't, again, it doesn't mean you're stupid. Like actors have a thing where it's like being in touch with your body and getting your brain out of your head and into the rest of your body, knowing what you're feeling, you know, um, very um, intuitively and, and, you know, feeling where you're a bit sore and where there's weakness in the body and where you're feeling strong and where you're holding the tension in your body. Um, and so again, like a, a barbarian, uh, as the D and D class could be sort of almost monkish, um, mm. in, in a way, I mean, maybe that you play the monk, if you want to go full spirituality, maybe that, that class is already there. Um, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. So moving on. <laughs> yeah, do you think one thing I just want to, I just want to say one thing, do you think that the barbarian is the strongest class there is? As in mechanically the best class or physically? Uh, Physically. Yes. Um, Yeah, probably. Like in terms of the paladin? It's raw damage. I mean, the difference between the barbarian and the paladin is that the raw damage output of the the paladin um, is lower than the, the barbarian turn to turn, but the paladin can put out more burst damage, can put out more damage like up front through their smites. Once they've used their smites, then they don't have as many tools left in their tool bag. The Barbarian is the sort of class, I mean, I actually think it's a little bit easier to play than a fighter in some regards, um, just because, like, everything about the Barbarian really does revolve around that rage. I don't think a Barbarian should have to rely on their rage as their only trick in combat. And, in fact, when I play Barbarians, I quite like to multi-class them with, you know, as I've seen done very often, a fighter. Um, I multiclassed a barbarian with a warlock recently, which might seem like an odd multiclass, but it's just because I don't want to rage every combat. I want rage to feel like a significant event, like an important thing that's happening. The thing that a fighter gets that a barbarian doesn't is that they get more tools in their toolbox in terms of their second wind and their action surge and their um, battle master points or, or superiority dice, what they're called if you're playing an actual fighter and not a crap fighter. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you have more things that you can do than a barbarian, but your raw damage output might be a little bit lower, like, you know, at each attack considered. Mm. Um, so barbarians a lot of the time have less drawbacks as well, because something like a frenzy, when you go into berserker rage as a barbarian, the only drawback is you get exhaustion. That's a huge drawback though. it's, It's a huge drawback in your games where you never get to have a long rest. In games where it's like, this is the big fight of the day. Yeah, I'm going to go into a frenzy. Yeah, I'm just going to fucking no, slaughter them. The, I'm exhausted. Now I'm going to have a nap. I'm done. But that's exactly what I said, though, was that, yeah. like, a barbarian can rage two or three times between long rests. So typically they do, right? Yeah. If you ra- if you're going into a frenzy multiple times, 
then you're building up multiple levels of exhaustion and they don't all go when you take a long rest. You only lose one level of exhaustion when you take a long rest. So it feels like frenzying is something you almost never want to do, which look, maybe here's the thing about frenzy is maybe I'm describing exactly what I just said in terms of like the fact that you take exhaustion is an incentive not to go into a frenzy so that it does feel like a last resort thing and not something you use every time. But if you do that, that subclass is losing a lot of power if their incentive is to not use their ability. Most of the time that I've had um, berserker barbarians, I tell them not to worry about that level of exhaustion. You don't take the level of exhaustion. It's just how you rage, you get that bonus action attack. And I do not feel that it is something that unbalances the game whatsoever. I think it actually works just as well. Um, And, you know, 90% 90% of the barbarians I was seeing, especially before Xanathars came along, were all just bear barbarians. They were all mm-hmm. just, you know, totem of the bear, don't want to take any damage, I'm totem of the bear. Never mm-hmm. saw a berserker barbarian until I was playing in a campaign and some guy was like, ah, oh, I'll probably go totem of the bear. And I was like, well, look, if you go berserker, you won't take that level of exhaustion. And he was like, oh, that's that's really tempting. And he ended up doing it. And he ended up having a fucking awesome time. So the, it's really fun, not just as a barbarian berserking or, or, or going into a frenzy. It's not just about getting to attack three times a turn or twice a turn or whatever, at what level you're at, but it's about being able to dash and then still get your bonus action attack, right, mm. in the next yeah. turn. So you you, it almost gives you more options to disengage, run over here and attack this guy or, you know, dash and attack this guy or whatever whatever it happens to be because that bonus action attack isn't predicated on anything else except the fact that you're frenzying. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my, my advice to Dungeon Masters, if you have a Barbarian in your party, give them that option because it's it's a gangbusters option to just drop that level of exhaustion. That class becomes so much more enjoyable or that subclass becomes so much more enjoyable. I'd agree. Barbarians are just a force of nature when it comes to combat. It's like it's mm-hmm. next to impossible to stop them unless you drop a dragon just on them. It feels like sometimes you just the barbarians there, great, everything is fucking dead. That's that's just how it's going to happen. Tori, you you played a barbarian too. What if? How have you found it? Yeah. Um, I found it really interesting in terms of trying to put the the narrative background to rage, like what Ben said. Um, I played a warforged barbarian and uh, when she raged, it was like, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, she saw red and then freaked out. It was very much calculated and it's like, kind of like the Terminator examining the environment and being like, you know, kind of a thing. I don't know if that really translates to to podcast. Um, but, uh, Tori was doing the robot through all that. Yeah, kind of. Um, but it's that kind of concentration and focus, um, uh, and like she overheats. So like, she does have that kind of, she doesn't really emote because she's a robot. Um, so she overheats from like that, you know, considerable concentration rather than anything. And that is her rage. So I think like, yeah, maybe not like they sh- maybe called it a bad thing when they called it rage. They should call it yeah. something else um, because rage is so associated with an emotion that yeah. you think you have to be angry for it. But I think like that it'd be really cool to try and complicate that. Well, what does a fighter need to do to be really fucking awesome mm. um, for just a few seconds mm. <laughs> or minutes or how energy how burst or something? Yeah, well. yeah. Do you need a Snickers? <laughs> Is that your rage? Maybe it's like a real Popeye thing. Your your character carries around like yeah. Or maybe it is transformation. Maybe it's like a He Man thing. Like when they're not raging, they're Prince Adam, and then they're like, "I have the power," and they're not <laughs> raging, but they just become like, you know, this other person almost, or a Bruce Banner turning into the Hulk. Yeah. You know, totally. like yeah, getting having more fun with the rage um, thematically. I think will make the barbarian feel a lot more enjoyable in that role-playing side of things because sometimes it can feel like you don't get to access the role-playing um you know side of the game because you're a, a mechanical powerhouse exactly um see i like the fact that you went with he-man because i went for sailor moon with the transformation right well yeah yeah there you go. I, I went one. with he-man yeah. I've been watching that on netflix recently but because it's amazing yeah um tori would you ever play a rogue 
played a she rogue. She has played a rogue, yeah. Tell me about your rogue. <laughs> do you, you do know that I played a rogue, right? Or is that like a segue? Oh, Mary. That's right. Mary was a rogue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, right. One yeah. of the longest characters that we played. Yeah. I was going to say, like, how do you not know that I played a rogue? I, I completely forgot you played a barbarian until you mentioned it just then. So. Uh, a swashbuckling rogue, I think yeah. I, well, it was. All um, I see is swashbucklers now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'm go- I was going to say that it's probably my favorite character to play, uh, nar- uh, not narratively, like um, what's the opposite, like mechanically, mechanically mm. um, in that for someone like me who finds the rules hard at the best of times, it's very easy to remember what the rogue needs to do. Took me a while. Like, yeah, we, I was going to say, we had we to draw made... you a flow chart yeah, to figure out chart, if you got sneak attack or not. The flow chart was really handy of when okay. I could do sneak attack and when I couldn't do sneak attack. But once I had sure. the flow chart, it was fine. Sure. And it's just like, roll the same dice, roll all the same thing. And I guess it can be a bit repetitive, um, yeah. but I don't mind that necessarily. Sure. I think that the more options you have to do different things, the more confusing it gets for someone like me. Sure. Um, so it was a really good... Uh, access point to kind of try to understand the game a bit more um, through that one character mechanic, you know? Yeah. Okay. I certainly find that rogues in particular always get sneak attack. There's very few instances for for lower levels where they don't have it. So they're just used to like, yeah, I get sneak attack every single time. So you don't really even need the flow chart after a while. It's like, yeah, I get it. It just just happens. And it's like, yeah, you probably do. Fucking hell. I mean, yeah, that's technically true. Although, to be fair to the humble rogue, if they don't get sneak attack, particularly at high levels, then their attack might not be worth much at all, you know? Yeah, it's like, worth, like they never get multi-attack. Yeah, exactly. They never get multi-attack unless they've got some sort of magic weapon. They never get, um, you know, any other bonuses to their mm. attacks. So the fact that sneak attack um, is relatively easy to get, even as a vanilla rogue, I think is a good thing. Um on the flip side, though, like I played a rogue once and it was probably the most fun I've had playing D&D, especially mechanically, because somebody described recently, there's a, there's a, I don't think it's a feat. It might be a fighting style. I'm not sure exactly what it is, or it might just be a, a, a an optional rule, but there was something introduced in Tasha's, which was called like steady aim. And it basically said you can attack with advantage if uh, you're making a ranged attack, if you don't move on your turn before or after. And somebody commented on a Facebook forum recently. They were like, oh, look, I'm playing this rogue and it's all right. It's sort of fun. Um, I'm I'm using steady aim to get sneak attack by having advantage on the attack rolls frequently. But I'm getting a little bit bored and I'm wondering what people can suggest to make this more interesting. And I was like, don't use steady attack. That's the most boring possible. Like trying... There's so many ways to get sneak attack that trying to make it easier for yourself is an exercise in making the rogue more boring Mm. because it's like, I'm not like the fun that I had in being a rogue was figuring out how to pop out of cover, make my sneak attack and then disappear and hide again in the same turn. Um, And the fact that you're kind of like swiftly moving around the battlefield and keeping out of arm's reach of anybody, I think is the fun of the rogue um, in a vanilla sense, you know, the, mm. the fancy footwork, the, you can't pin me down. I'm always going to get away from you um, sort of aspect of it. That Batman striking from the shadows and then disappearing before anybody mm. can retaliate is the fun of the rogue. I think. Um, Do you think Batman's so, a rogue? Uh, a yeah. Rogue, rogue cross with monk. I don't know. Yeah. Cross with paladin. Mm. Cross with fighter, cross with fucking everything. Batman yeah, is yeah, the exactly. utility belt of of classes and alignments. Well, I think that the rogue is the utility belt of classes as well, right? Like the yeah. rogue is probably the most diverse class in terms of what its subclasses can do and what its builds can do. Um, you know, the mastermind and the inquisitive give you an option to play someone who is a Sherlock Holmes or a Moriarty, I think is as wizards described them mm. when those subclasses first came out. You can play a magical rogue with the arcane trickster. You can play a, uh, like a deadly assassin. You can play someone who doesn't hide in the shadows at all, like Tori did with the swashbuckler <laughs> and be like full out um, and play Jack Sparrow, you know? So there's a lot of, narrative diversity in the mechanics of the rogue subclasses we don't see mm. thieves too much too often thief rogues which are kind of because they're 
they're kind of like the beast master of rangers. They're very good for sneaking into buildings and stealing things and picking tr- locks and traps. And that doesn't seem to be a big element of, of D&D in the games that I'm seeing. Maybe I should start putting in more um, more locked doors to annoy people. I think the, the, the reason that the thief is overlooked so much is for two main reasons. The first is that it's not as sexy as the assassin. You know, everybody wants to be the assassin. Uh, you know, one shot, one kill. I am the assassin. Um, but also there's so many other, like, you know, when there's a window 10 feet off the ground, it's just as easy to say, yeah, you managed to make an athletics check and climb up to it and climb through it. So that second story work ability that they have to get a climbing speed is not particularly, you know, it's not it's not the most powerful ability that you can get. But the second reason, I think, is because their um, cunning action to use an item as a bonus action is sorely overlooked. Most dungeon masters I find these days, or a lot of people I talk to these days, allow drinking of healing potions as a bonus action, which it shouldn't be. Because they're wrong. Yeah, exactly. Because a rogue... We're speaking as DMs, right, mind you. Uh, uh, okay, look, well, exactly. Look, Our opinions matter on it more. Ah, I, I, is that what it is? I will let anyone drink a potion as a bonus action when they can down a pint in six seconds. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Oh, wait, sorry, in well, under six seconds. Big, depends how big the, the pie is. Like if it's like no, a, a little a pint. A pint. A, a pint. A pint of liquid. If you can down it in under six seconds, in under two seconds, because that's what a bonus action kind of is, yeah, you can drink a potion as a bonus action. Sure. What if they can? Then they get it. <laughs> and they're probably and not they going to care as drunk. much because they've just downed a pint. Yeah, um, yeah Exactly. <laughs> The, the point being that that is an ability that the thief rogue has because they can use that item interaction as a bonus action. And that's what drinking a healing potion is. Mm-hmm. So if you want to be able to drink potions as a bonus action, take that rogue subclass. The other thing that it can do, which is often overlooked, is if you get a wand of magic missiles, I'm pretty sure technically by the rules, mm-hmm. using that wand is not casting a spell. It's an item interaction. Mm-hmm. So they can cast magic missile and then sneak attack on their on the same turn because they can bonus action to use whatever magic item it happens to be. Um, and so that can be quite powerful. The other thing is like coating weapons in poison. I think mm. actually a, um, a, a, a thief makes a better poisoner than an assassin because there's other ways to get proficiency in poisoner's kit, and that allows you to quickly douse because you're using the poison as an item to douse a, a, a piece of ammunition or a weapon with poison. That can be done as a bonus action, and then you run up and attack with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that uh, the thief is... It, it's gonna, overlooked. Yeah. I think the thief subclass actually works really well for settings like Eberron or a low or commonplace magic setting. Yeah, Ephraim knows that. (laughs) 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 Last time we're going to say that. I'm not going to miss that pun. Uh, (laughs) I miss everything else about you guys, but not that pun. That it would be really interesting, this is just a complete aside again, to limit subclasses to something like the Thief in a low magic setting where if you don't get spells or spellcasting as part of your abilities, you can't take a subclass that then gives it to you. So the Arcane Trickster would be out, the Arcane Archer would be out, and that would make the Thief, I feel, a lot more appealing because you would be able to do get get wands, get arrows and spells and coat, coat magical poisons on your blades. And mm-hmm. I think that would be a really cool... Well, it is basically Eberron, that you would be using mm-hmm. those classes and subclasses a lot more frequently if, um, if you're limited by the setting itself, which is not really what people want to hear when you come to D&D. It's like, cool, you can be anything you want except these things. Sure. But on the topic of Eberron, on the topic of Eberron, that was the the setting that introduced the Artificer into 5th edition, uh, which I think we'll talk about next because the Artificer is a a special class. It's the, um, hey, what if I wanted to be a, a scientist in my fantasy game? Is it? And I thought it was more um, magic scientist. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. So I, for some reason, I thought it was no. That's a gunslinger. I'm thinking of. Never mind. Yeah. 
I mean, the Artificer does have like a subclass which basically makes it a gunslinger. Mm. Correct An artillerist. Me if I'm wrong, artillerist? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they basically build Something a little like mounted that. cannon that follows them around on little legs and shoots everything. Which, yeah, yeah right. that's kind of cool. I like it. It's a cool subclass. My problem with the Artificer is that it's too. This is going to sound like a dumb complaint, uh, but probably a very on brand complaint for me. It's too magical. Yeah, that's that's so. In a way, it it it's really just a wizard with toys, you know. Um, because the way that fifth edition works, it it well, yeah, it doesn't want you to have to think about like how shit works. So a lot Ooh. of the time, it's just like you magically make it work. You know, you ma- you the artifice of the idea is that you tinker with things physically, but you can touch a stone and make it emit a sound magically by touching it. And I'm like, well, that's fucking boring. Like, wouldn't yeah. it be more interesting if they could tinker and build a little box, you know, that makes sound? But mm-hmm. I think the reason they do it, that it's described in the rules the way it is, is so that the artificer doesn't have to think about, like, tracking their, um, you know, supplies. Do they have enough building materials to make what they want to make? Is what they want to make practically actually possible or can we just hand wave that it's magic? And so it is possible. Um, I, as the DM, would rather hand wave, no, it's not magic, but it is possible, you know? Mm. Like I have a, an artificer who plays a, um, you know, they get cantrips and so he casts Firebolt. What he actually has is like a little, you know, hand cannon type gun um, that he fires and, and you know, fire comes out the end of it. But it's not magical whatsoever. It is just a, a mechanical contraption of, you know, gunpowder and whatever else he's made it from. I think that would make the artificer more compelling to me than it just mm-hmm. being like, oh, magic. That's kind of my preferred way of playing it as well. Or if you do want to lean more into the magic, making it a little bit more, this is the science of magic. That rather sure. than just being someone who uses the river, you're actually harnessing the river to make a, a, a water mill and grinding flour from it. That you found mm-hmm. out, sure. hey, magic winds go through. So I'm going to build a little little windmill and I'm just going to I'm fixate it on mills today, apparently. I might have to write an adventure with <laughs> mills. That you're using it to build the things you need from without actually having the magical ability yourself. Mm. So that's how I prefer seeing the artificer because it is, it should be science. You're building shit. You're not just creating it into being out of nothingness. Do you say that like, it's kind of like a Rick from Rick and Morty it can be. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah Actually, of. that's probably a pretty good analogy, particularly because, you know, in Rick and Morty, the shit that he does is just like, it's like it yeah, of course that sense. works. Yeah. Like yeah. turns himself into a pickle. Then he yeah. manages to make like a pickle rat like contraption around him. Or, you know, that, that episode where he's fighting with the president and he's like, you know, if this guy touches me, he will die. And then the guy touches him and he just drops. <laughs> he told you. <laughs> And the president's like, he's not a god. Like, he has to be fallible. Um, and it's like, well, that's kind of how the artificer feels is like they just make it happen. Like, it, it, you know, it doesn't need heavy explanation, which, you know, I I prefer a bit more. What's the term you use, Jeremy? Versimilitude? To Versimilitude. The way that, that one to the way that, uh, you know, the artificer feels. That said, like something like a runesmith, could be cool, yeah. like to flate your your artificer that way. I think Rune Smith mighty or, or Rune Priest or Rune Warrior exists as a subclass for like the fighter, maybe. Yeah. Um, but that I idea think of that, carving you know, the runes into your weapons and then infusing with the magical ability based on that. I, exactly. like, I like that idea. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Like I'll, I'll go in for that if that's the way you want to flavor your artificer. But it just feels a little bit like a, a mechanical cop out sometimes um, with the way the artificer is built. Yeah, a little bit. I like the... This Um, is just me building off the fact that I kind of really got back into the hobby with Critical Role um, and playing with you guys, of course, but mainly Critical Role, that a lot of of Talos and Jaffe's gunslinger in the first campaign was him being a genius, just as a a person, and going, I want to build this thing. I want to build a thing and let's work with the DM together to figure out how it's going to work in game. Yes. Mm-hmm. And making it a lot more mm-hmm. of a role play element that, hey, I'm an artificer and I want a glove that shoots lightning. Yes. Mechanically, it's going to be this, but let's figure out a way in game for my character to build it as well. 
And mm, I think yeah. if you if you want to have that sort of investment and the commitment with the role play aspect for it, an artificer can be a really fun, interesting class to build adventures around. Yeah, I, I agree. We we did a game recently with one of my ongoing groups where they built basically an artificer's um companion i can't remember what they're called steel, steel, steel defender. defender yeah so they created a steel defender um uh, in game we did have some artificers in the party but they weren't subclassed the right way to have their own steel defender but basically they found an inert automaton so collectively the party together built this steel defender um you know using magic items they'd already found in the campaign they had this magical rock and i was like all right well if you put this magical rock uh, this fire rock inside the artifice uh, inside the steel defender it will gain magic resistance and it'll have an ability to to shoot fire from its eyes or some shit you know whatever we we did with it or if you want to instead give it this magical sword and so now it's all its attacks are magical um you know you 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 have options and it feels like you're actually tinkering and building something over time rather than just like yeah i touched it and i can't really thought about it hard for a few minutes and now it's alive Mm. Mm. As well, we like to nanites. call it the Frankenstein reaction. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, crap, it's alive. Even, Run away. We didn't even get onto yeah. Frankenstein and all, all the classic I stuff like did, that. We did, actually. We did, no, we did. We did we on did Golems. For, um, we did on yeah, Golems. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But I feel there's, there's this whole thing on Frankenstein that we could have just gone on for a good hour or two. Just on the, the one. Then, which? But anyway, but speaking of playing God... Uh, which masters I want to do. Let's talk about the class that follows a god. And here's a thing. Ben, would you allow a cleric, uh, a player character cleric, who worships this unknown being, the dungeon master or the game master, that they believe there's uh, something that exists oh. outside that controls this entire world? And it's basically just a cleric. How meta. There's been a few times I've seen this as a class, but it feels like one of those incredibly meta... I'm winking at the universe sort of gags where yeah. everybody else in world would just think they're crazy. Whatever. Like, I don't want to yuck love that. Yeah, I don't want to yuck anybody else's yum. That sounds like a cool idea. I think that, that that is very clever and very cool, but I'm not in for it. I think that that's just too goofy. It's it's silly. Um, I'm not. I've got, like, as you describe that to me, I literally feel the energy going out of my body, like the enthusiasm <laughs> just disappearing. Like, don't get me wrong. I think it's a cool idea and I think that it's very clever and I think that if played authentically and like you play it to the hilt, um, I think it could be a lot of fun, but it's just not for me or any campaign that I play in. Like that's just too meta and and too goofy. Um, And uh, yeah, I have no energy for it. (laughs) I I think it also requires the other players to commit to the bit as well. That this person yeah. is just yeah, like, totally. as, as though it was somebody in our world who just went, yeah, there's someone out there that just kind of rolls dice and tells us what to do. And the world changes all the time and there's no control over it. How great is that, everyone? And oh, no, but yeah. but I'm in with them. It's okay. I, yeah. they it reminds like me of an episode of The Good Place uh, in which they meet a person who's figured out heaven in all its majesty. Oh, yeah. Um, That's a good episode. I like that and one. like the point, the points, uh, you know, that one needs to get into heaven. He's like, he's figured it out, not just just because of just happenstance. Um, and I don't know. I think that could be fun, but I I don't know if you could continue a whole campaign with it. I think it'd be a good like one shot thing. Yeah. But um, because then it just gets too personal. I think you know, like yeah, I don't know. You don't want the player like praying for inspiration constantly. Like you don't want them like using their character to ask the DM for advantages that their character doesn't already have. Well, I think it would be, be clever as like it's like channel divinity is like, hey, I know these are undead, so can you make them run away now, please? Because I'm a cleric. Mm. Yeah, sure. And it's like yes, they can the, do that he anyway. has rolled the dice and decided. Yeah. yeah. Um, the one thing I would say where that joke should end is that the player, the, the character should not be aware of the player character. Uh, sorry, I'm confusing myself. The character should not be aware of the players. Yeah. Like they should worship this DM like type deity, but they should not be aware that they have no like actual 
decision-making power or autonomy in their lives because they're part of a story. Like if it gets too Deadpool, I think that's where it'll <laughs> yeah. stop being interesting. It's being aware yeah. of the writer, but not being aware of the reader. Yeah, sure. If you want to put it that way. <laughs> or vice versa. I don't know. Either way, that'd be, I think it'd be really fun for a one shot again, like Tori said. But what about clerics in general? How do we feel about um, these, well, warriors in a lot of cases rather than just the healer? And in some cases, are they just imaginary friends? Um, I you really like. I, I'm saying that do if you have a setting where gods have left, if you only have two gods, a god of good and a god of evil, how do you have a cleric? It's like, mm. do, are clerics necessarily followers of gods? Hmm. Interesting. I think yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think they kind of have to be. Like that. that... As much as I was saying before about the barbarian, their rage doesn't have to be defined as a rage. I think there's a lot of different ways to flavor a cleric, but I think that in playing a cleric, you are kind of playing someone of faith. Um, you could probably like reflavor the cleric abilities if you really wanted them mechanically and but wanted to play a monster hunter or something like that. You you could. Um but I think that um, to play a cleric, really, you are playing a, a, a character with some sense of religiosity. Mm. Um, that's not a word, but I'm going to... Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Religiosity. Um, oh, great. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I've played a, with a couple of clerics, and I tend to find they do pretty solidly sit in that support healer role, mm. but they don't have to. Um, I've seen a lot of tricks to clerics more often, uh, more frequently. I don't know whether that's a jester-induced uh, phenomenon or not. Um, some of the tricks to clerics I've played with claim to never have seen an episode of Critical Role. I think so maybe it's, it's a, not a jester. I think it's also phenomenon. a Loki thing. Oh yeah, maybe, yeah, right. yeah. Um, but uh, I've only really had one like cleric who really lives up to the warrior priest or the warrior mm. side of warrior priest, um, which was Mike's cleric Bailon. And he was a punchy as fuck cleric to the he point where he started as a, he started as a light cleric, I think, or a life cleric. And then he changed domains to the war domain, um, which I think uh, is cool. I like to see the cleric get in and shake it up with the barbarian and fighter because they they can actually be, you know, they probably can't keep up in raw damage in terms of their physical attacks as a barbarian and fighter. But the thing about the cleric is, here's the thing, kids, and I turn my seat backwards. It's kind of the same with the bard. The, the bard's spells are not, generally about doing huge amounts of damage. Mm. So sometimes people can be a bit disappointed with the bard as a spellcaster, but it's because the bard, like, you know, they have proficiency with things like crossbows and knives and things. Like the bard is almost like a a three-quarters spellcaster, one-quarter martial class. And I think the cleric's kind of the same, where mm. if you just sit on only using the cleric's magic, you can build your cleric that way but you're missing out, I think, on that warrior side of the class that can be really cool, you know, if you if you lean into it. I the sort of clerics I like playing are the um the Thor clerics, getting the storm uh cleric, the the um uh, domain of storms or domain of whatever it's called, thunder, lightning, whatever, and being like a cleric in the service of Thor. And instead of being this like monk-like priest, you're like this rock and roll um you know, like warrior thunder god. guy. Yeah. Warrior god. Yeah, exactly. And you're like knocking dudes about with the sound of your voice and you're calling down lightning and you're striking dudes with your thunderous hammer. You know, I think that shit's cool as fuck. Um, and you use your magic to boost your martial prowess and you can kind of tank because you can heal yourself as well. So I think the cleric is is definitely a class that is um, uh, stereotyped to its detriment in terms yeah. of being a pure spellcaster or just a healer. Yeah, I feel the healing aspect of the cleric is kind of what everyone who doesn't play a cleric sees them for. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, we need a cleric and they'll heal our wounds. And a lot of the time the trickster cleric or the, the war cleric's like, no, I fucking won't. Yeah. 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 I mean, people uh, in one of the games I played with, they weren't getting like legitimately upset, 
but they were just getting confused because there was a trickster cleric in the party who like uh, almost to the point where they didn't prepare healing spells even mm. because they didn't want to be a healer. They just wanted to fuck with people. Um, and so people would be like, oh, cleric, can I get some healing? And she's like, no, I don't have the spells prepared. Sorry. <laughs> Why do you assume that I am a cleric? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why do you assume that I can heal you? Yeah. <laughs> I find it interesting. What, what about me gives you that sense? <laughs> I find it interesting. The two times I've played a cleric, um, one time I wasn't even actually playing a cleric. I'm playing a rogue who just happens to be a priest. Uh, and the, the so everyone comes to him and goes, you're, you're a priest, you can heal. And he's like, I'm, I'm not that kind of priest. I steal from the collection plate. I'm not a good priest at all. And right. the other one was a knowledge domain cleric, which I right. love because basically is an archaeologist or a, a librarian who's suddenly put out into the field and has no idea what's going on is just like i'm here to translate everything i can kind of bring light and maybe patch you up if you get bad because i've done some book learning but please please don't hurt me everyone and i think this is in mm. the same game tori with your druid that kept turning into a bunny he came yeah. across he came across someone he'd like known and was trying to save and they were charmed and attacking them and we had to guide him bolt him into death basically and it was more like this panicked, oh, God, please stop, and killed him. It's like, this messes him up because he's mm. just, he's a bookworm. He's not there for, mm. for stuff. It's so much flavor when you take choose these other domains that people kind of overlook. Mm. So I think yeah, the domain is really the flavor for the cleric, which is why they're the subclasses, of course. But mm. there's the ones, the storm is often overlooked as well, I think, because mm. they, or the Tempest cleric, I should say, it's always Tempest, chosen. that's what it's called. Yeah. I think it's normally chosen for like a lightning god or, or Thor, unless you're running a, a sea bound campaign and then suddenly you're just nature sea goddess um, yeah. level stuff, which is really fun. I think that'd be a good one well, to there go is... for as well. There is the nature domain as well. You're almost playing like a druidic cleric yeah. that I haven't looked closely at, so I don't know what the abilities are. But um, the cleric, the cleric has some of them. I think it actually has probably the most subclasses out of any. Yeah, I could be wrong about that, but it feels like they definitely have a lot of, of subclasses and a lot of different ways that you can specialize them, which um, is very cool. You know, I think that's um, why they do, haven't really had as. They haven't added as many subclasses in the the expansions, things like Xanathar's and Tasha's. Sure. I feel it's only been one or two domains. I think it was the Forge domain and um, I can't even remember what the other one was. Grave domain, I think. That's right. Yeah, it's because you don't need them. The clerics are so multi-purpose already because they get all these spells Mm. and you can flavor them how you want that you don't need too much more. You just mm. kind of need another another niche for the god more so than for the um for the cleric itself. Mm. So that was our quick lightning round on the final classes that we never really got to talk about. Uh, tune in next week for our ultimate episode. Um, we would really appreciate it if you did. It's been fun talking with you all. So I think this will be one that uh, you don't want to miss out on. Uh, you can talk to us. You can come to our Discord, uh, which will be around for a while yet. That The link is on the Facebook page and the Twitter account. That's facebook.com slash Dyson DMs. And the Twitter account is at of Dyson DMs. Ben and Tori, uh, you have social media as well if people want to come and stalk you there. Yeah, I'm under doc underscore Tori on uh, T-O-R-Y on um, TikTok if you want to listen to all sorts of uh, analyses of books. Uh, I'm doing breakfast at Tiffany's this coming week. So good book. Ben? Yeah, uh, you can still keep in touch with me. I'm at melb underscore DM on Instagram and Twitter. I'm not going away from either of those places. And you can, as always, reach out to me or us, the three of us, through ben at melbourndnd.com is the email address. Um, So you can keep in touch with us that way even after this podcast uh, has gone gone to the farm, so to speak. (laughs) Um, And, of course, the farm upstate catalog will still exist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh my god um yeah 
Uh, and I will be around elsewhere. I'm not sure whether I should publicly announce what else I'm doing quite yet. Um, but if you go follow me on those socials, I will be producing a lot more D&D content uh, in very short order, probably a couple of weeks or months um, will be more D&D content coming out from me online. So if you enjoyed of Dice and DMs, um, would appreciate the support in that secret super place that you don't know about yet, uh, but yeah. will hopefully be, all will be revealed in time. And of course, well, we will be back next week, so you can subscribe to all the things on Spotify and, and Apple <laughs> Podcasts. Uh, if you really want, it would appreciate reviews. If you want to get your last reviews in, that would be wonderful. Um, we would love to hear them. Uh, we do appreciate every message from our followers. So thank you for listening. Until next time, may all your hits be crits. Hi. See ya. Mm-hmm.